the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. God at creation separated the waters on the earth and he left some on the earth and some over the earth. And there was most likely a huge canopy that surrounded the earth. That just burst. You couldn't get 40 days and nights of rain today. We might think so. Just come back from California and seen the effects of El Nino on the beaches, but you didn't get 40 days from that. And not only that, but we said that the crust under the earth, the crust of the earth burst forth all around the globe. Waters came forth, subterranean ocean waters burst forth. Must have been very hot, mixed with very cold, terrifying, horrible. But these verses emphasize the incredible increase of the water upon the earth. Notice verse 17 says, the waters increased. Verse 18, the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. Verse 19, the water prevailed more and more upon the earth. That's literary emphasis. He didn't just say it once, he said it many times. topic on this verse-by-verse series is Noah and the Flood. God has given us incredible details about the Flood and how He cared for Noah, his family, and all the animals. The Bible tells us that the floodwaters were roughly 22 feet higher than the mountaintops. Why do you suppose that was? Hmm. Well, so the ark could navigate freely as it floated along. No obstructions. Our God is a God of details. And our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is going to not only teach us about those details, but why they are significant. If you would like to know how you can subscribe to the Verse by Verse podcast, I'll give you that information at the end of our broadcast today. But Pastor Steve is ready, so let's jump into our study. I wonder if Noah ever tried to figure out how that last piece of the ark was going to fit. I mean, if you don't have the door there, it doesn't matter what you've been building for 120 years, you're going to be flooded out, washed out. And I think that's a marvelous thing to consider. Do you ever worry like that? Do you ever worry all kinds of things that you are troubled about and you worry about? You know what? Matthew chapter 6 puts it in perspective. Matthew chapter 6 is such a wonderful, wonderful chapter where the Lord reminds us and promises us that he's going to take care of us. Matthew chapter 6, part of the great Sermon on the Mount, verse 33 and 34, Jesus said, after giving all the truths about righteousness, and that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, the great truths of righteous living in light of the kingdom coming, in light of the fact that there's a better world coming, but it's not here yet, how should we live? Jesus tells us how to live, and then he says in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All the things that we tend to worry about will be added to you. And then he says in verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that true? What an understatement. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't borrow tomorrow's troubles today. They'll be here tomorrow. God gives grace for today. What is Matthew 6, 33 and 34 saying? It's saying, obey me, do my righteous commands, do what I've told you to do, and I'll take care of you. Trust me. You know that great hymn, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's what this is about, Matthew 6 is about. And that's what Noah really illustrates in his life, and that what God illustrates for us. Some of us are trying to figure out how God's going to do stuff, like put that last piece on the ark. And God says, you just do what I told you to do. I'll take care of you. I don't care what's troubling you today. You need to just obey. Obey the Lord and trust him to do what he said he would do. I think that's a great, great truth. Now, so we go back to Genesis 7, verses 17 through 20. Watch this. Then the flood came. I mean, it was that day. God closed the ark. They're in it. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. And the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. So once Noah and his family and the animals were shut in by the Lord, the flood began. Now these verses, by literary repetition, by literary repetition, emphasize the incredible increase of the waters upon the earth. Remember I said last time that it wasn't that just some rain clouds burst. God at creation separated the waters on the earth and he left some on the earth and some over the earth. And it was most likely a huge canopy that surrounded the earth. That just burst. You couldn't get 40 days and nights of rain today. We might think so. Just come back from California and seen the effects of El Nino on the beaches. But you couldn't get 40 days from that. And not only that, but we said that the crust under the earth, the crust of the earth burst forth all around the globe. Waters came forth. Subterranean ocean waters burst forth. Must have been very hot, mixed with very cold. Terrifying. Horrible. But these verses emphasize the incredible increase of the water upon the earth. Notice verse 17 says, the waters increased. Verse 18, the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth. Verse 19, the water prevailed more and more upon the earth. That's literary emphasis. He didn't just say it once, he said it many times. The escalating waters were so high that verse 19 and verse 20 say that all the mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. That's incredible. In fact, the water, it says, was 15 cubits higher than the highest mountains. That would be about 22 feet higher. Why? So that the ark could clear all the mountains. It had to be higher. Now, in spite of this very clear statement of Scripture that the waters were higher than the mountains, there are still some Christians who deny that there was once a worldwide flood. They insist that it was only, as I told you before, they insist it was only a local flood. And it's a big problem because it is really an attack on the power of God to perform supernatural miracles. Because if you say that God can pull this off, it's scientifically inaccurate, then maybe he couldn't pull off the resurrection of Jesus Christ then maybe he couldn't pull off Calvary. How could your sins be paid for and everybody else's 2,000 years ago by somebody dying on the cross? You see where this leads? If you deny the supernatural power of God to do this, 
then he can't do anything else. Maybe he can't, and it it raises doubts in your mind. One of the leading proponents of this view is a man by the name of Bernard Ram. When I was a student at Moody, we used his book, believe it or not, on biblical interpretation. I think it's called Protestant Biblical Interpretation. And my feeling is Bernard Ram should read his own book. It's a very fine book and follow what he teaches in that book on biblical interpretation. Here's what he says. If one wishes to retain a universal flood, it must be understood that a series of stupendous miracles are required. Further, one cannot beg off with pious statements that God can do anything. He writes, there is no question what omnipotence can do. Watch this expression. The simplicity of the flood record prohibits the endless supplying of miracles to make a universal flood feasible. He calls it a very simple record. And he says the simplicity of it shows us that there was no supernatural miracles. Well, let's consider what this so-called simple record of the flood actually states and what the rest of Scripture affirms. Why do we believe that the flood was global? Why believe this? First of all, there's a reason from logic. It's just so obvious that it's amazing to me that people like Bernard Ram and others, and I'm not even going to mention some of the names because you'd probably be shocked at some of the people who in other areas are very good, but they hold to a local flood. But it's amazing to me that such brilliant minds miss this. The most obvious reason that the flood was not local, but rather worldwide, was because if it was local, there is no need for Noah's ark. There is no need for an ark. For Noah to build an ark for 120 years simply to escape a local flood, not only is unnecessary, but could I say it's kind of stupid? It's just stupid? All you had to do, Noah, was move out of the danger zone. I mean, you had 120 years to move. It's not very difficult. Just move away. After all, when God told Lot he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he just moved, told him to get to another place. That is just a ridiculous thing that people would think it's a local flood when Noah's building this ark for 120 years. Just move out of the area. Secondly, the main reason for holding to a universal global flood is the language of Scripture. The other is based on logic. But this is more important. The language of Scripture, the Bible uses words that describe a worldwide flood and not a local flood. Look at verse 19 again. And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The Hebrew language of this verse emphasizes that the entirety of the planet, the entirety of the planet was covered with water. Moses said all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The issue is what does the Bible mean by what it says? If language means what we understand language to mean, and that's all you can do, if language doesn't mean what we believe language means, then nothing means anything. You'd never know what anything means. But if language means anything as it's presented, that it is impossible to believe anything other than a presentation in Scripture by Moses, the Spirit of God, as he inspired Moses of a worldwide flood. Not only that, but look at verses 21, 22, and 23, the emphasis of all, and all flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth, and all mankind, of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. 
Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. Now, does that sound to you like a local flood? It doesn't sound to me like that. It doesn't sound to anybody like that unless you read into the scriptures. Let me deal with something here. Those who hold to a local flood would tell us that it is physically impossible for all the water in our present oceans to cover all the mountains of the earth. And you know what? They're right. They're right. There are some mountains over 20,000 feet high. How could this be? Well, I'd like your turn to Psalm 104. I read from Psalm 104 just before we had the pastoral prayer. And I want you to see something because there is an answer to this. It's a very good point that it is a physical impossibility for all the waters in our present oceans to cover all the mountains of the earth. Psalm 104, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. Thou didst cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. That is, the waters fled. At the sound of thy thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place which thou established for them. Thou didst set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. Now, these verses refer to the flood because in verses 6 and 9, he speaks about a boundary. He's speaking about the waters here. He's not talking about creation. He's talking about the flood. He's speaking really of what we would call later the rainbow covenant. But notice verse 8. The mountains rose... The valleys sank down to the place which thou didst establish for them. What this verse tells us is that at the close of the flood, watch this, at the close of the flood, God supernaturally depressed various parts of the earth. And into those places, the waters fled and receded. But not only did the valleys sink down, Notice verse 8 says this, the mountains rose, the mountains rose. In other words, at the close of the flood, God pushed up great mountain ranges in order to balance the new depths of the ocean basin. So the topography that we see today wasn't the same before the flood. So those people who say that it is a physical impossibility for all the waters in the ocean to cover the highest mountains are absolutely right. But the topography before the flood was different. We had a wonderful opportunity this week to look at the Pacific Ocean, not only from the L.A. area, but also from the San Francisco Bay Area. And I thought about this, how God at the close of the flood, however he did it, but he supernaturally depressed the earth, so that where did all the waters go? So that the ocean basins today are a lot deeper than they once were. And when he depressed it, like you kind of put your hand in silly putty, when you depress it, other things come up. And that's what happened. The mountains rose. Listen to what Whitcomb and Morris say in their book, The Genesis Flood. Enormously high snow-capped mountain peaks could not have existed before the flood. The world that perished had low-lying mountains, which were probably less than six or 7,000 feet high because they were completely covered by the waters of the flood. 
And he quotes here that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The mountains were covered. If the earth's surface had no irregularities at all, the oceans would cover it to a depth of about two miles. Therefore, if Mount Ararat, which is more than three miles high, or Mount Everest, which is more than five miles high, existed before the flood at such altitudes, it could not have been covered by the flood. Scripture tells us it was not until after the flood that the mountains rose. Their rise to great heights was both sudden and supernatural, for the immediate effect of God's intervention was that the waters fled. They hurried away to the place which thou didst establish for them. Secular geologists have searched in vain for forces sufficient to raise up the great mountain ranges of the world. So I think that that answers those who would say scientifically it can't be. No, scientifically it can be, and it was, and that's just what Scripture teaches. Now, a third reason why the flood had to be universal was this. After the flood was over, and we've not gotten to this part yet, God promised that he would never destroy the earth again. Remember that? God said, and we'll deal with that about the rainbow as his sign and promise, he would never destroy the earth again by water, he said. And you know what? If the flood was local, God lied. Because there are many local floods. There have always been many local floods. No, God was making a promise that was universal. He would never destroy the earth again by a flood. He will destroy it by fire, but never by a flood. And when we see the rainbow, it's a reminder of God's promise to us. But if it was local... Then God lied, as I said, because there have been many local floods. It makes the promise of no effect. Fourth reason why we believe the flood was universal is the testimony of the Apostle Peter. Let's go back to 2 Peter again. And here's Peter's point. There are people, he said, who will mock and scoff at the coming of Christ, say it it can't happen. Let's break in at verse 7 because we read the verses prior to that. He said, but the present heavens and earth by his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And then he says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat in the earth, and its works will be burned up. Peter compares the flood and the coming of Christ and the final destruction of the world He's making a comparison. God destroyed the world by waters, but in the future, he will destroy the earth by fire. And he connects that with the coming of Christ. So it's not precisely at the same time, but it's a future time. Now, if you have a universal coming of Christ and a universal judgment on the earth of fire, then you have to have a universal flood. Otherwise, there's no analogy. What's the point of a comparison? A local flood with the destruction of the earth in the future? It only makes sense if it's universal. A fifth reason, a fifth reason why it must be a global flood. Those who hold to a local flood, and this is a major thing, fail to take the big picture into account. What was the very purpose of the flood to begin with? Why did God do this in the first place? Why did God send the flood? The answer is the purpose of the flood was to judge the sinfulness of all mankind. Not a few people, but all mankind, the entire human race. Genesis states it. Peter states it. Not only in the passage we looked at, but in other passages, he speaks of how God saved just Noah and his family. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 17. Jesus spoke of that. Only Noah was saved. And everybody else was destroyed. Noah and his family. Three places the entire human race was wiped out. That's the purpose of the flood. God judged 
the rebellion and wickedness of mankind. Folks, there is no question that the Bible presents a flood that covered the whole earth. It was a catastrophe that wiped out everyone but those on the ark. And we read this in Genesis 7 as well. If you look at verse 21, all flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. And we read that verse in the next two verses. Let's look at verse 24. And the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. These verses tell us that God wiped out everybody. That's the purpose of the flood. I want you to know there was once a world that perished. Our ancestors perished in a universal flood. And we need to be sure that we don't forget that. Ancient man didn't forget it. They were so terror-struck by it, they didn't forget it. It's only in our modern world that we have chosen to forget it. And why must we not forget it? Because it is a demonstration by God that in the day of his wrath, no one shall escape his judgment. That God deals with sin. A universal flood is important because it is proof that a final universal judgment is coming. That's the point. And the only way to escape this judgment is to come into the ark of safety, Jesus Christ. Jesus is like that ark, only better. The ark is a picture of Christ. When you are in that ark, you are safe, because I'm telling you, there is a judgment coming. People didn't believe Noah that the flood was coming, and people mock today that judgment is coming. And you know, they mock, and they say it's never happened, because everything just continues. And you know what? This is our only frame of reference. We've only lived here a few years So we haven't seen a judgment come. We live relatively comfortable, in fact, very comfortable in the United States. And in our minds, we think that judgment will never come, but the word of God says it will come. And imagine those people, as I said before, in Noah's day, who must have mocked Noah and laughed at him when the heavens broke up and the earth beneath them began to gush out mud and water. Imagine the terror. Where was there to go? There was no place to go because God had shut Noah in and his family. They must have pounded on that ark. They must have tried to scramble to higher places. There was no place to go. Listen, there is a coming judgment, and not just on the earth, but the Bible teaches that there is an eternal judgment called hell. Hell is so hideous that I don't think words in the Bible, though certainly accurate, can capture the hideousness of hell. Outer darkness, eternal pain, remembering... There's memory in hell. Listen, it's not too late to come into the ark of safety. How do you get into the ark of safety? You renounce your sin. That's kind of the password. You repent and you renounce your sin and you trust Jesus Christ as the one who paid for your sin. He already took the wrath of God. Judgment was poured out upon him. So renounce your sinful way and come to him. And come today because you could have a heart attack tonight and it'll be too late. You can be hit by a car today and it'll be too late. Something could happen to you that you never planned on. And if you put off salvation, you don't know what's going to happen. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. So I urge you, I invite you to come up after the service. You want to speak to somebody about accepting Christ. You know, you could accept Christ right where you are. I remember a young lady in our church saying that, you know, while you were preaching, that's when I trusted Christ. So don't think you got to kind of come forward later and that has to be just that way. Trusting Christ is when you are ready. He's always ready for you. Let's bow for prayer now and think about this for a moment as we just meditate on some truths. If you close your eyes, bow your heads. 
for believers. What we've seen today, I think, is a reminder for us to be faithful to the Word of God, not to compromise it because of scientific theories. You may not understand everything. You may not know how God pulled it off. But if Scripture says it, that must be your authority. All through our lives, we're exposed to contrary views, exposed by so-called theologians, scientists, others who just laugh at what you believe. They laughed at Noah too. The truth is the truth. So I trust this is helpful in affirming your faith in the Word of God. Many years ago, someone asked a scientist who believed the Bible if he thought that science and the Bible contradict each other, and he said, which science? Science of the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. You see, the point is science always changes. The Word of God is settled. Settled forever. The God who does supernatural works of depressing the earth, raising up the mountains, bringing the flood, is the same God who can save you. If you're not a believer, He can save you. That's the greatest miracle. He can take someone as sinful as us and bring them to faith and bring them into His family. Perhaps someone has asked you how God could flood the world and kill almost everyone or how God could sentence people to an eternity in hell. Judgment is not something that we as humans want to face. However, God never judges without giving ample warning of the judgment. And that is what we see in this account of the flood and the coming eternal judgment. If you missed part of our program or would like to listen to this broadcast again, I would encourage you to surf over to versebyverseradio.org. There you can subscribe to the Verse by Verse podcast. The link is... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.